Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another edition of Bros Pod, uh, March Madness edition once again, and, and a few other things are on the table. Uh, once again, I'm joined by the great, great Bill Roden at a secret location. What's up, Bill? Hey, guys. What's going on? How you doing? Always great to be with you, no matter where I am. We're good. We're good. And of course, uh, our co-host, Nabate Isles, the great Nabate Isles is here. How's it going? All in, right. in studio. Yes, I can indeed. see him. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, we've got a good show today with two great guests. We'll be talking to Myron Medcalf, college basketball writer with ESPN, about the tournament, of course. Then we have Courtney Scott of Content Incubator, a search firm for athletes and their families. He's worked with pros such as Wendell Carter Jr. And we'll talk to him about the state of the college game, recruiting, scandals, all that good stuff. Uh, so... We witnessed uh, all the final eight extravaganza, all the, the final four is ahead of us, and uh, so we'll be talking a lot about that. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about it. I know, Bill, you're a little disappointed in the final four, aren't you? Well, only the Leonard Hamilton in there. Right. Uh, I was, or, or even like a black coach. I mean, that's, that's become a thing with me. I just, I'm just baffled, man, that in, in 30 years where all these black kids have just been dominating, and you know they – would love to be coaches that in the power five is basically, and you look at Calipari, the money these guys are making mm. and how essentially that dominance on the court is not translated into dominance. The thing, and and I, I think it, for me, is disappointing about people like you know, Izzo and all these guys asking, well, what about your coaching tree? You know, I mean, haven't you, you know, what part does this fall on the coaches to not develop black folks in their coaching trees. Anyway, so I'm disappointed, not just because it's not sexy, but just, you know, there's just no black coaches in the mix. But I, I got to give I gotta give um, Coach K credit, though. He developed Tommy Amaker, developed um, Johnny Dawkins, developed also, yeah. also as well Billy King, who became an executive, you know, but, you know, like those yeah. guys. I, I give him credit and everything, but there's very few like him. You know, basically, I mean, Gene Cady yeah. developed Quanzo Martin. Uh, Tubby Smith was developed. Oh, I forgot who he was developed under, but, but you know. Well, that was a Patino. Patino, Rick Patino. Mm. Oh, right, right. Yes, exactly. In the first Kentucky run, right. All right, let's get into uh, the Final Four, which starts Saturday night. Uh, I think the first game is Auburn. Is that the first game? First game is Auburn, Virginia. Auburn, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And then the late game is Texas Tech, Michigan State. Uh, I'll let Nabate set it off since he has a, actually has a Final Four team, uh, an original Final Four pick that made it to the Final Four. So wow. give it up to Nabate. Uh, it, it was a rough year for me. <laughs> <laughs> rough year for me, too. Right, like, <laughs> just Auburn was my only pick. <laughs> it's weird. You got and, one more than I do. And, I and I was more confident about Auburn and Tennessee, like those two teams. Like Duke, mm -hmm. I was – I it was between Duke, Michigan State, I was mm – -hmm. uh, Pick Duke, which I made a mistake, but you know, but and then uh, TT, I didn't expect 
at all. Yeah. Um, because uh, TT, they struggled. They lost to Virginia, West Virginia in the quarterfinals. And West Virginia is the worst team in the Big 12. Right. But it shows you that teams that lose early, they usually have success because they have time to regroup and, and hone in on the mistakes they made and losing those disappointing conference games. And also to get more rest, too. Yeah. Teams that win the conference tournament, though, on the other hand, they you know four days sometimes five days and they get worn out. It's not like it's not like UConn in 2011. That's a rarity right there where a team gets that hot after playing five days in the Big East tournament and then winning a tournament. Bottom line but, is like it's a crapshoot. Yeah, it is. It is a crapshoot. But but I'm impressed uh, with Auburn and what they've done. And uh, I I don't know if we should we give our picks now. Yeah, yeah like, sure. I uh, yeah I pick Auburn to beat Virginia. Okay. Um, uh, definitely because I I think their speed is going to be a problem and they hit perimeter shots as well. And then Michigan State Texas Tech I see Texas Tech winning because Jared Culver is the best player in the entire Final Four. Like not just pro prospect but overall because of his length mm-hmm. six six. Um, and and also his his acumen on both sides of the ball. So um, so you have a you we not only have an ugly final four, but you're giving us an ugly final too. Actually, it's not ugly. Auburn plays yeah, very exciting. No, Auburn's an <laughs> exciting I'm team. About, I'm talking about name recognition. Oh, oh no, name recognition. But but <laughs> these but but remember, Keith. I mean, I'm a college basketball fanatic, so I will watch anything. Right, game, but, but I'm te- just saying. But Texas Tech and Auburn name recognition. But let me tell you, that's going to be entertaining. Uh, final, final right, game. I'm going to hold you to that. And I pick Auburn to win. All right. I oh, picked them to win yeah. the whole thing. Bruce Pearl cut the nets? Yes, I do. Oh, did you hit? Hit? <laughs> Bill, Bill, do you hear this? He has Bruce Pearl cutting the nets. Cutting the nets. Bill. Yes. So much so much for cheaters never prosper. <laughs> right. right. I, I, mean, I just, Mike Davis was up for that job at Tennessee, and they hired Pearl. And, of course, he went on to, I, I just, I just can't. Do it, man. I, you know, uh, <laughs> I hear you. I, I just can't. I just can't do it. You know, I have nobody in the final four. I don't think I had anybody in Sweet Sixteen. <laughs> you had to have somebody. Trust me. Sweet Sixteen was chalk. Well, That's all the one seeds. All the one seeds. I had Gonzaga. I had Gonzaga and Florida State playing. Okay. Yeah, you were right about oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. And all the one seeds were there. So but, uh, and Florida State attributed themselves yeah, pretty I, well. They played Gonzaga pretty tough. So it was, it was, you know, it wasn't a bad. Yeah, let's just see the ratings. <laughs> yeah. I know you said it's exciting. Right. Exciting to who? Oh, but guess what? It could it could be one of the best final games ever. Auburn and Texas Tech. Both teams can run up the floor. They have that diversity. So in in how they attack. All right. Well. No, no. I think I think the games. No, I think the games. The final four games are always great mm-hmm. because of the excitement. I'm just talking about you know what do you think the ratings will be. Yeah, I know. I know the networks are, are not happy. That you know, they would have loved to have Duke in the Final Four. They would have loved to have Gonzaga. They would have loved mm-hmm. to have uh, North Carolina uh, or Kentucky. Yeah. One, Kentucky. One of the yeah. two. You know, the Blue Bloods yeah. what brings the ratings. So, or even know. Tennessee, because Tennessee yeah. seen as a major football right. school. You know, now they're there in the Final Four. So, yeah. But I think they're going to push the Virginia story. Oh, yeah. Push that story. Virginia, of course, being the only number one seed to lose in the first round to a 16 seed, and which they will be remembered in history even if they win the tournament. They still will be remembered as the only number one seed, but it will be vindication. Oh, so yes. you know the networks are going to push that story. I forget what podcast it was, but I, I went on and on about how Virginia winning could be uh, redemption. <laughs> I predicted it. We'll pull that up. We'll pull that up. Wait, oh no, you all don't remember it. <laughs> but uh, Bill, who you got in the in the final four, or do you or do you care? 
Well, Greg, I'm not sure. I guess, you know, I guess Izzo and Michigan State, I mean, you know, issue, uh, Izzo is, maybe until the time he fired on his player, he was usually on sort of the right side of the cultural issues and all that. Right. I guess, you know, I guess Michigan State, I mean, uh, we didn't even talk about that, about what y'all thought about uh, how, he treated, how he treated the player. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a, a big, big problem with it personally. Um, and a part of it is because, like you said, we know the whole person. If you look at his whole body of work, we know, um, you know, he's, he, I mean, he's, my interactions with him have been very positive. Um, very and, nice. You know, right. um, and, and that matter. And also, you know, and Bill, you played football. And, I, you know, I grew up playing basketball in, into college. And, I mean, that's just, I mean, that was kind of, to me, I mean, he, he didn't touch him. And he, he yelled at him and pointed his finger at him. The players kind of handled it themselves. You know, he, he also allows players to give it back to him. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't personally have a problem. And Aaron Henry in all the, in all the press conferences totally was totally agreed with it. You know, he said, this, it helps me become a better player and a better person. Um, and Tom is and look, and look <laughs> <laughs> but, but I got to say, but look, look at the players that Tom Izzo has had come out, not just, you know, they, not just like, for example, Mateen Cleaves didn't have the greatest NBA career, but he's had a successful career off the court with involvement in music, involvement in a lot of different things and being an oh, analyst yeah. as well. Then you have Mo Peterson, you have Draymond Green. Uh, you have all these uh, players that came out of Michigan State, Steve Smith, but that was before Tom Izzo. But all these players that came out of Michigan State, they are exemplary leaders in their community, not just on the court. So and and they and they will they live they ride and die with Tom Izzo. So and uh, and also his his quote: "Learn to listen, listen to learn." I mentioned to him to that. I mentioned that to him after his scrum, and he like lit up, you know, because that's that's and and that also a couple of Michigan State players said, "Oh yeah, we had to hear that all the time." Learn to listen, listen to learn. But but that's one of the greatest quotes, and and it. You know, it helps. It's a great mantra for for the kids that have come out of Michigan State to be great grown men. Hey, hey let me ask you this: switch you to switch you to the music genre. You know, you've been playing music for like you've had your own groups, you've played with groups. Have there have you been in a situation like I tease you about the Ron Carter thing? Have you been around tough? Leaders, tough band leaders, group leaders. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like control freaks and everything like that. Like, but more in a quirky way. Um, not, not in a, not uh, yeah, confrontational. not in a confrontational way. Not really. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't think of any instance, or maybe I just blacked it out. <laughs> but um, no, but I understand. <laughs> but but I'm I'm very you know what I what I personally. I feel like as long as everyone else is treated that way, if you treat everyone else from the standpoint of your principles and how you approach people, you treat everybody, you know, you hold everybody accountable. But if it's if it becomes personal when you just treat one person that way, then that's an issue. Um, so that's the thing. Like great coaches, great leaders, band leaders, if they they are consistent with who they are and and imply that to to who they're dealing with. And at the end of the day, it's their music, the band leaders' music. And also the band leaders looked at if a if a band member is late to a gig. You know, it's like little things are looked at. So mm-hmm. um I totally understand it because I've been there as a band leader and then it's it's done to me and then I have to address it, you know? So Right. Um, so it's 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 deep, you know. So it's just you just understand what the what the intent is and what they're about. But Bill, I get you 
I get what you're saying as far as the happy slave thing, because of course, you know, you you can't go by just what the players say because you know players are, always love their coach. I mean, Isaiah loves Bob Knight. We mm-hmm. know we know what kind of guy he is, right. and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and also, it's like it's like the battered woman syndrome. You know, like we don't we don't live, you know the, the you know, just, you know going back to to the person who abuses you. So it's not it's not about that. I think it's right. more I think it's more about you know looking at the at the coach as a whole. I mean, we've all seen coaches that that's all they do. You know, yell at yell at guys like that. Like that's their shtick. And that's what you know they, what I'm saying. Yeah. And they and you know they don't you don't see anything positive. At, you know, or you see very little positive out of them. That's a different story. But if, you know, if you have a guy who has a you know a good reputation, you know has you know throughout the years shown you uh, positive attributes, um, and he's getting on his kids. I think you know I don't have a problem with that. And and in that situation with with Henry, I mean, if that were my son, I I probably would agree with Izzo. I'd be like, you know, you should have boxed out, son. <laughs> you know, you, you deserve to get yelled at. You know what I'm saying? And that, and 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 that's you know, there is a difference between on the field, on the court, and the corporate, in in a corporate setting. Because I I saw a lot of people on on the air saying, well, you know, you're you know, my boss. If my boss did that to me, you know, you know, that's unacceptable. Well, yeah, it's a different situation. You're on, you know, you you know, you want these. You're on the court. You're on the field. You're you're asking these kids to 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 get lost in the moment. You're not in a corporate setting. You know what I'm saying? It's a whole, it's a whole different ball game. Um, it's a sport. Right. You know, so it's not the exact same thing. I don't think you, you know, say, oh, well, I'm not treated like that by my boss. It's not. That's. It's not analogous to me. And and also in a sporting situation, you have so many distractions. You have the crowd noise. You have all that where you have to make sure you are heard and your point is heard, True. and that people are paying attention. There's so many distractions. Cheerleaders. You know, fans. You know, the mascot may do like a flip or something <laughs> where you're like, oh, that was kind of cool. But you know, that's what I mean. There's so many distractions. So. You have to you have to 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 be very uh, very um, um, animated at <laughs> some points. Right. Yeah, Sometimes for sure. All right. Well, yeah. I, let me I get, let quick, me get, quick question though. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say this first. First here, Tom Izzo will get the first offer by the Los Angeles Lakers. I don't think he'll take it. I'm just saying. Really? Well, I called it. Called it here. All right. All LA right. Lakers. Magic. Care. Magic will offer Izzo the job. I mean, that connection makes sense. Exactly. I didn't think he loves Izzo. Loves Izzo. So, and especially if Izzo but wins a national Izzo, title, Magic, if he wins a national hey, title. What else does he have to Magic do? Magic better be careful, man, because he he's been making. He has not been making great moves. Exactly. No, what, that's right. Not. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm and saying. And if I'm Izzo, like, I say no to that dumpster fire. Yeah, and that's the thing, because because Magic <laughs> Magic will say to him, "Oh, you have your two titles. You have your eight Final Fours. What is what is there? To, and don't worry, Tom, don't worry, coaches. Though you're set. Don't worry. And and he would have a lot of security. He would have a lot of security and patience for sure. I hear you. We'll, we'll look out for that. I guess. I don't know. Would you take that job? I wouldn't. If I'm Izzo, I'm, I'm chilling in college, man. <laughs> give, me, give me that. Give me that uh, lifetime deal that Calipari just got. I'll but, take that. But if he gets five years, yeah, 50, fifty million, five years or six years, sixty. Still, still pressure, mm. the L.A. pressure. Yeah, that's true. Living in living in L.A., living large in L.A. I guess. I guess. Why not? I guess. And Draymond's a free agent too, right? Aha. Uh-huh. That's true. He just, signed with, he just signed with Clutch. With Clutch Sports. Right. Ah, there's a connection. You know Dre will play with Trey under Tom, Tom Izzo. So 
first, you heard it here first. You did, you Tom did. Izzo, first offer by the Lakers. All right. We'll, we'll look On out. top of the Lakers list. Okay, I like that. I like that. We'll look out for that. <laughs> so where, where else do they go, Devontae? Okay, they get Izzo, now what? Now the, oh, well, well, that's another shout. Second that's round, another second, shout. Second, yeah. second round exit. That's <laughs> well, that's an improvement. It is. It is. No question. And my final four... Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go opposite Nabate, um, and I'm gonna go for the for the one matchup that probably will be the best for ratings, um, if if there if there is one. So I'm gonna I'm take UVA over Auburn. I think uh, I'm just I just trust Virginia more. They've been better all year. Uh, the defense is you know everybody knows about the defense. They have two very good guards that uh, can maybe neutralize Auburn's strength a little bit. Um, and they're, you know, I like the, you know their team in general. I, you know, they've just been a better team all year. Then on the other side, I'm going to go Michigan State. I think that's going to be a a very good, you know, great defensive battle. You know, physical Texas Tech, Mich- Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State, I think squeaks it out. You know, two point win. I actually think uh, Cassius Winston is the is the best player uh, in the tournament left. I mean, that 20 point 10 assists, one turnover performance against Duke. And that's basically what he is. He's averaging 18 and eight. Uh, for the season, um, not 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 a tremendous pro po- prospect, but uh, I'm sure he'll have a, a decent career. Uh, and then I'll, I'm going to take Michigan State over Virginia in the final. I think Virginia Virginia winning would be a great story, but I think uh, Michigan State just matches up well with them. They can they can beat Virginia at that slow paced game if they have to. Um, uh, you know, like I said, their guards are strong. You know as is uh, Virginia's, but I think they, the bodies, the big bodies they have down low will be too much for Virginia. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to say Izzo does get his second ring, and he puts himself in rare air, and, uh, you know, that'll be the end of the tournament. That's my pick. And it would be, so, be so funny. The most visible final could be the most – could be the dullest game, while yeah, the, true. Least, uh, the least visible teams of Texas Tech and Auburn – would be the best game. It's <laughs> so weird. And I agree. <laughs> Auburn, Auburn, you know, the way they run up and down the court, you're right about that. Like, whatever game they're involved with, they're going to try to push the tempo, and it'll probably be more pleasing mm-hmm. to watch. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, no question about that. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 180,000 book titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, and MP3 player. For you, the listeners of Bill Roden on Sports... Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. We highly recommend that you check out the classic $40 Million Slaves, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of the Black Athlete by the one and only William C. Roden, an absolute must-read. To download your free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Again, that's audibletrial.com dot com backslash Bill Roden on sports for your free audiobook. Check it out. We are joined by a great college basketball writer, Myron Metcalf of ESPN. Obviously, it's March Madness, and we've all been paying close attention to that. And Myron was uh, covering all that closely. How you doing, Myron? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Of course, we have the Final Four set. We have Michigan State, Texas Tech, Virginia, and Auburn. Um, what, what was Boring. your, <laughs> Boring. That, that's been, that's been the, uh, the line going around that it's not the sexiest final four, but the, but the final, the, the elite eight and the sweet 16 was very, was very compelling. What was your take on, on the final eight games that you, that you, uh, got to see in Anaheim? Uh, they were okay. I mean, you know, you had Texas tech, which became sort of a big story for everybody and, 
the run that they made, um, and then Gonzaga obviously being the number one seed, they lose. Uh, so that was a good matchup. But I mean, the other sides had the better games with Purdue and Virginia going at it, and Duke and Michigan State. So I think the Elite Eight was actually one of the better Elite Eights I've ever seen. I just don't know that the Final Four uh, will give us the same juice. Mm-hmm. How did just tell us about the Texas team? I mean, because again, you know, for, for me at least, it's kind of come out the blue. You know, I think uh, last time I saw them was uh, when they hired Bob Knight, and then I decided officially to never watch them again. Uh-oh. Well, tell us about Texas. Why are they good? Well, I mean, you know, Tubby helped restore that name. When Tubby Smith got hired there, took him to the right. tournament. Um, right. before oh, that's right. I take it back. That's right. I take it back. That's right. <laughs> um, that's right. So Tubby, Tubby, I think, you know, give him some credit for giving them a boost uh, with that run they made to the tournament. And then Chris Beer came in and, um, they've had one of the best defenses in the country. You know, he gets guys like Tariq Owens, was a kid at St. John's, who yeah. led the whole league in blocks. Um, Jared Culver, the, the young man he has who's from Lubbock, Texas, uh, is going to be a top-ten pick. So, I mean, they've, they've done it kind of organically in a lot of ways. They don't have a bunch of five-star kids. They just are really committed to, to playing good defense. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting team. A lot of guys from different backgrounds and – I think they they are the surprise. They're the one team I think in Minneapolis where people are going, man, I never expected you to be here. Right, <laughs> right, and, right, and, right. Uh, you said they have one. They have one per, one lottery pick. They got one. Jared Culver will be a lottery pick. Uh, the six six wing they have. He, he's a uh, he's talented. He he could be the star. I think of this Final Four. Mm. And mm. and that's what I wanted to ask you about. I, I think. Personally, I think he's the third best player in the draft, personally, because of his um, his acumen on the defensive end and the offensive end. So, do you like with his potential, do you see him possibly shooting to number three or number four in the draft? Maybe be, maybe being drafted ahead of R.J. Barrett? Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody's going ahead of R.J., John Morant, and Zion. I mean, I think that's set. Ooh. R.J. is special, and I think R.J. in the NBA is going to be a different kind of player. Right. Um, but Culver is, he has a chance, I think, to be a top five pick. Um, like you said, he, he can go both ways. He's great offense, uh, great defender, uh, and he's Paul. I mean, I, the scouts I talked to say that he could be sort of an undersized Paul George type. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very good. 6'6", six, six, and yeah. he's still getting better. You know, he's a young guy, still getting better. Staying on that line, I was thinking about this question myself. In terms, like, who do you think, and not not just talking about um, their pro prospects, but who do you think is the best player in this Final Four? I think, you know, I'm looking at Cassius Winston. Um, I don't think he's the best. Obviously, he's not the best pro prospect left in the tournament, but I think as a, you know, just player-wise and effect on his team and, and the game, I would go with Winston. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Winston has had the best season. Uh, he's carrying the most weight. Uh, he's had a lot of injuries he's had to deal with. Joshua Langford, his teammate sidekick, got hurt with a foot injury in December. Nick Ward broke his hand in February, and he hasn't been the same player since. Uh, so Cassius Winston has just been carrying this team. I mean, he's been the hero for Michigan State uh, in everything he does as a distributor, hitting his threes. He, he to me, is the – He's your top national player of the year candidate mm. in this Final Four. Uh, I think Zion's going to win it. 
Uh, and, and I think RJ might finish number two, but Cassius Winston is definitely in that conversation after the way he carried Michigan State. Uh, I don't think there's one player in this Final Four who has carried more weight than Cassius Winston. Just taking you to the other regions, you, you mentioned you were in Anaheim, but you thought the other, the other games were better. What was your take on uh, the Duke-Michigan State game and also the uh, Virginia-Purdue game? I mean, both, both great games. Um, you know, and I, I think Duke had been kind of on that high-wire act. You know, they've been, they've been on the verge losing a couple times. And when you're a young team, I mean, I think the value is you don't really understand the stakes. Mm. Um, the negative is you don't really understand the stakes. So when you get in moments like that, uh, when, when it's you've got to make a play down the stretch, you can get tense. And I felt like that's what happened to, to Duke. They were so accustomed to things going their way, the ball kind of bouncing in their favor, uh, that they almost seemed to expect that to happen uh, again. Right. Uh, but then Virginia, Purdue, uh, I mean, for them to go into overtime on the last second shot, it was an amazing game. You know, was, Purdue that lost that game, but I think a lot of people think that they played one of the greatest games of all time uh, against Virginia, a really good Virginia team. So it'll be interesting to see how how Virginia plays, how Michigan State plays, but I'll be shocked if the games in the Final Four are anywhere close to what we saw in the Elite Eight. You know, it's funny. Auburn was my only Final Four pick that I got right. Go figure. You know, that's one, but, that's um, one more than me. But yeah, but but definitely, that's a team that's very intriguing. They lost Okiki, unfortunately, but they. I mean, the backcourt of Bryce Brown and um, and Jared Harper, and the speed, collective speed of that backcourt. Auburn, they can possibly win this tournament, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody can doubt them after what they've already done uh, without Okiki. I mean, they didn't have Okiki for the last eight minutes, eight seconds against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Short North Carolina, and they played Kentucky in overtime. No Okiki, and they still win. I mean, they have and lost to Kentucky twice before. I think a lot of people yeah. understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, about twenty-seven in one of those games. So, for them to play the way they're playing with one loss in the last, you know, two months, which was to Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, they're one of the hottest. They are the hottest team. Uh, coming into this mix, and Jared Harper was just impossible to hang with. He's just so fast, and and I thought that early this year that his speed could be a problem if they hit their threes, and that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, Auburn can win this. So it sounds like, uh, as far as the, the Final Four, moving on to 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 the weekend and what we have in store for the Final Four, it sounds like you're of the opinion that this that it's that you basically agree with the masses. It's not, it's not going to be a sexy final four and, and it might be a disappointment. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, disappointment is up to the, that's up to the casual fans, the, the people at home. I think you can still have some good games. Mm-hmm. You just don't have a lot of star power. Right. You don't have a lot of household names. I, I think everybody was hoping that Zion would get here. Uh, and, and people were hoping Kentucky would be here and they're not coming. Well, that's part of the disappointment, right? And Duke's not coming, and North Carolina's not coming. Um, I, yeah, I think I think the, the the you know a true college basketball fan will enjoy this because you still have all five of these teams were probably top fifteen teams. You know, especially in Ken Palm, if you look at that that ranking, um, all of them I think are top thirteen teams. Um, MSU, uh, Texas Tech, 
and Virginia were all top 10 teams, really, throughout the season. So you have good teams, and there will be good games. It might not be aesthetically uh, pleasing because it's going to be defense and, and rebounding and all, that, all the little things. Um, but I think, you know, they're going to be some intriguing matchups. Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be quality basketball. I mean, these teams are good. They they wouldn't be here. I mean, to beat Duke, you got to be a really good team. To right. beat Gonzaga, right. uh, you know, to beat Kentucky and North Carolina, you got to. So so, give me your picks then. Let's uh, let's put you on the spot. Who you well, who you got? I, I think Virginia uh, will end up playing Texas Tech, and I think Virginia wins it. Oh wow! Okay, so mm-hmm. Texas Tech, and that'll be a minor upset, I think. Um, if that even if there is even such a thing as an upset anymore, at this stage. Yeah. <laughs> The Auburn Virginia game. You think that's a that'll be a game, or you think Virginia will handle them? I think just Virginia makes it really hard for anybody to score in the paint, um, and that gets frustrating for teams. Uh, I don't think Jared Harper will be as effective as he has been. Um, I think Virginia will win that one by probably seven or eight points, if not more. And then you got Virginia. You got Virginia winning the whole thing. Yeah. So Texas Tech, I think. So that's uh, so that's an incredible story, right? I mean, from last year, losing losing to the 16 seed, the first, the only team ever to do that, only one seed ever to lose to a 16, and then to come back the following year and win the championship. I mean, that's I mean that's got to be a great story you're going to write. Yeah, I mean that's redemption. That is at the highest levels, I think, for Tony Bennett and his team. Um, you know, the path won't have a Duke or a Kentucky on it. So that'll take some of it away. But, no, to go from what happened last year to this year, I think there are a lot of people who will say, uh, you know, kudos to them for for that not being the lasting storyline. Because I feel like if they don't get to the Final Four this year, um, more people would be bringing that up. But because they got through it and they got to Minneapolis, that'll be the focus. And winning that championship would erase a lot of that from last year, I think. What do you feel about – um, you know, I don't know if you heard the comments from uh, Izzo, but he was saying that, you know, he really needed to win another national championship to really be validated, for the program to be validated. And, you know, I mean, it is true. There's, there's the When you look at the number of people who have won coaches more, two or more Final Four, I mean, champ, national championship is really, really a very small number, where there are a lot, I think, like 50 people who have won one. Do you think that he's got a point that that because uh, you really look at? It, I mean, Izzo's won one national title in twenty years. You know, yeah. um, what do you think? Do you think that he's got a point there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, for for a lot of coaches, one championship makes you a great coach. Uh, I think two makes you a legend in a lot of ways, and I think that um, he's he's right. And it's not just him; it's the Big Ten hasn't won a championship since Michigan State's last title. So the entire conference is trying to be validated as well because they've been on this 20-year title drought since 2000 when the Spartans uh, won that ring. So I I, I think he's right. Now, I think Izzo's Hall of Famer is a great coach no matter what. But, yeah, two is a different club than just winning Mm -hmm. one. Uh, Mm -hmm. And also, he's got the best path this year. There's no Duke. There's no Kentucky. You ain't got to go to North Carolina. I mean, this feels like to me, this might be his last great chance to get a ring. On the same thing, Calipari has only won one with arguably world-class talent. 
uh, consistently, only won one, and then his university just turned around and rewarded him without essentially a lifetime contract. Uh, what do you think of that? And a guy who's put two schools on pro- on probation uh, to Bruce Pearl's one. I mean, that that gets into an ethical issue. What do you think of that? I mean, I'm not su- I'm not surprised by it. I mean, I think you know, at least in Lexington and Kentucky, um, they were going to do everything in their power to lock him up. Now, lifetime contract, I don't know what that means because I think if, if the right job comes along in the NBA, he would still take it. Uh, but I, if you're that school in terms of PR and publicity for recruits and trying to get people to ignore you losing in the Elite Eight to Auburn and moving forward, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the, the thing is what Cal will say, and it's true, is he has never been directly uh, implicated in – the scandal that had been attached to the school he's coached. And if you look at what's happened with the FBI situation, you can look at guys like Cal, even Bruce Pearl, who has had an assistant coach who was arrested and players who had to sit out last year because of the FBI scandal. Um, They are not directly tied to it the way that other coaches are. So I think most schools, many schools in that situation feel like unless you have something directly direct on my head coach, we're going to keep going as if nothing's wrong. And uh, so I think Kentucky wasn't even named in the FBI scandal. For all the people that dislike Cal and Kentucky, you'd think they'd be the first school mentioned, and they weren't. So I think this is a school trying to lock up a guy who has brought in a lot of big-time talent. They think he's their best chance to win now and into the future. And the one-and-done rule is about to go away. So you're definitely going to have to be able to recruit high-level talent when there are less guys available who can kind of change your program. So I really wasn't surprised, especially with UCLA trying to go after him. What do you think of the one-and-done rule? I mean, are we going to be seeing a better game, do you think, in the next few years, or do you think it's going to, it's going to, be, it's going to suffer, the college game? Yeah, I think college, college, you just won't have the same star power. I think the popularity of college basketball will go down because you won't have a Zion, you won't have guys like that. Uh, you'll still be able to produce good players who will spend a year or two, but we're never going to go back to guys staying three and four years. Um, I think it's a dumb rule. If, if Zion is ready out of high school, let him go. Uh, if a player is ready out of high school, like people make it out like, well, the kid might make a mistake. Who cares? Let the NBA decide if he's making a mistake. They don't have to pick him. So I, I'm glad the one and done rule is going away. I still think you'll get a lot of quality players in college basketball. But ideally, young players will go to the G League. They develop, and then they go to the NBA. I mean, that's what I hope the future is. And then the guys who want to go to college, let them, let them go to college. But you're going to lose fans without Zion and Anthony Davis and guys like that that college basketball has been thriving on for the last few years. And I, and I think that's a good point about the – I think it's a better situation now because now with the G League not just having the, the avenue for these kids to develop, like, like minor league baseball, you know, for example. But it's, yeah. bet, it's better now because now the G League is going to help them educate – you know, provide education for them, provide life uh, uh, opportunities for classes in life skills, things like that. And also the players in the NBA now are not – as older as they were, you know, because like you were saying, yeah. a lot of those players back in when Kevin Garnett came in, a lot of those players played in college for three, four years, and then they were older and more mature. You don't have that anymore with the with the regular NBA player. 
You know, like a lot of them came in just one or two years after. So it's going to kind of bridge the gap a little bit from the standpoint of starting out. But I wanted to ask you one more question about the Final Four. Uh, <laughs> looks like Auburn will be the least cheered team, I would say, overall, right, because of Bruce Pearl, because I'm sure people do not want to see him win a championship, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Auburn got a lot of fans in their corner, too. So <laughs> I, I think I think Auburn will have a backing. Um, but, I mean, just general. But there's certainly he's the most polarizing coach <laughs> in, uh, in, in Minneapolis. But they, they got Charles Brown. Right. He's going to be. He'll be there promoting them and hyping them up. Yeah, he's worth about 100 people. (laughs) He's worth it. All right. He may be a a crook. They say he may be a crook, but he's our crook. He's our crook. (laughs) And you can can really say that about college basketball in general. I mean, these these coaches may be – you know that's a, that's a that's a harsh word, crook. But if they are crooks, they're our crooks. All <laughs> all of college basketball. As long as they win games, right? And yep. the stuff has probably troubled me for a long time. You know, when Leonard Hamilton was, you know, I was pulling for Leonard, not just because he's a friend, he's a black coach. And what what blows me away is that, you know, black players have been dominating college basketball probably for the past I don't know. 25, 30 years, you know, where they've been like almost overwhelming majority. So you would think that the talent pool of coaches would be such that by 2019, you'd really have an abundance of head coaches, particularly the Power Five conferences. This is a conversation for another day. But why do you why do you think this is not true? I mean, it's it's. I mean, you have to work pretty hard to keep to keep it like it is now, where the where the number of head coaches black care coaches at the Power 5 schools is nowhere near the talent that's been dominated over the past 30 years. Why, why, just an idea of, I don't know if you think of that kind of stuff, but why do you think that is? We probably, we probably need about five podcasts, I think, for that. I mean, it, right. it, uh, you know, it, I'll tell you this. So I know a coach who's up for a job, and I won't name him. Um, but I know he's interviewed, you know, for some big-time jobs in the past, and one time he interviewed for a job and a and, and a school told his agent that he was he was he was basically too hood. You know, he wasn't he wasn't professional enough. And I think this is what black coaches deal with. They've got to go into these offices of white presidents and white athletic directors and almost prove that they're somehow exceptional. You know, and that that's that's a problem. You don't get the benefit of the doubt when you're a black coach in many situations. So You've got to you've got to do so much to even get into the door, and then once you get in, you've got to be so exceptional that they can't say no. And then from there, you've got to build these bonds. And it's, I've talked to coaches who said, "Look, you know, it's not that I don't want to be a part of these communities, but I don't go to their church, I don't go to their barbershop, I don't I don't have these ties um, that a white coach might have." I think that's an element. In, in all this. And then the biggest issue is retention and, and being given a second chance. Black coaches are losing jobs and they're not getting other opportunities. Uh, um, you notice the FBI scandal, you got four black coaches who are arrested. Right. Uh, yeah. Does that mean that only black coaches <laughs> are involved in the corruption of college basketball? Of course not. Nope. But that's the image. So there are just a lot of problems, I think, that um, we're all trying to figure out. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just hard for a black coach to get that job. It's even harder for him to keep it, and it's almost impossible for him to get another chance. 
and that has to change. Mm. Well, well, well said. Well, that is another podcast. That's three of them. Uh, but, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with parents, you know, who just continue to send their kids to these schools with white coaches, and the schools tell them, you know, we, we ain't hired a black coach, we don't tend to hire, but we know you're going to come anyway. It's just, I don't know, I just find it just baffling. There's a lot of layers to it. That, that's, that's definitely, that's for sure. No question. Yeah. No question. It's, and it sounds familiar in, uh, with coaches in other, in other sports as well. Uh, Myron, uh, thanks a lot once again for joining us. I know this is your busiest time of year, so I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Myron Metcalf, check him out uh, on ESPN.com, no uh, letting you know what's going on with this Final Four. We'll, we'll watch and see if Virginia gets it done, and we'll look out for your column for sure. All Take right, thanks care, a lot, sir. man. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Good stuff from Myron there. Looks like we have Courtney on the line. It's our pleasure to have this gentleman who has um, done an absolutely wonderful job in helping develop young basketball players just to be able to, to be prof- great professionals and not just on the court, but off the court as well, uh, to be able to, to be great ambassadors for their communities and for business. And it is my pleasure to have the founder and CEO of uh, Content Inc., my pleasure to have Mr. Courtney Scott on the line joining Bros Pod. Our pleasure. Sorry. <laughs> Our pleasure to have Courtney Scott. How are you, sir? Thank you so much. That, that The Honorable Nabate Alves. Thank you guys so much for having me. And that was a, a great uh, introduction, uh, Jamal and, and Mr. Rowan. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. So, Courtney, talk about, like, Content Inc. and uh, what your company is all about and some of the athletes that, that – content is helping uh, being able to, to be uh, great professionals as well as helping the families of the athletes as well. Talk about content and what, what it's all about. Yeah so, yeah, so Content Incubator is a search firm for athletes and, and their families. And, and, and I do two things. The first thing that I do is, is, is or not that I, but my team and I, what we do is we teach families about the business of sports. So anything from soup to nuts, from agents, the CBA, shoe deals, the current trends in college sports when it comes to coaches' deals, um, anything that you possibly can think of uh, when it comes to, to, to deals or, or the business of sports. Because what happens is, and I, what, what, I, what I tell parents all the time is, hey, you know, there's a very strong possibility that your son is going to the NBA because the, guy, the young guys who go to the NBA, there's a track. And so I say, hey, your son has been playing basketball since he was, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, or nine. And he's been preparing 12 or 13 years, you know, to go to the NBA. You know, nine times out of ten, the parents haven't been preparing that long um, and studying the, the business. So what I normally do is I like to start working with the parents, probably when they're about the kids are about 14 or 15, uh, ninth or tenth grade, and we just kind of dive in it slowly. You know, one day we may, like I say, talk about a shoe deal, or we maybe talk about talk about the most valuable college basketball programs. And in doing that, what it does, what it teaches them, is they begin to realize, hey, you know, if if a University of Louisville, I'll give you an example, University of Louisville is considered the their basketball team is considered the most valuable or, or profitable team in college athletics, and, and they're right around. They generate around around fifty million dollars a year, and that's from TV deals, the boosters, 
uh, uh, shoe deals, ticket sales, merchandise. I try to get them to understand, you know, that this is a business, and 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 once they can understand the economies, uh, the, the economics of of of, of how college athletics works, it better it better prepares them, you know, when their son goes to the NBA. Wow, I mean, and that's an interesting time period to, to start in high school, uh, leading up leading up to you know early high school, leading up to college, uh, you know. We we hear a lot about the a, AAU and and the and the pitfalls and all that, and then the college game has its share of problems. What's what's your opinion of the state of you know the state of the game from that age, from high school and your AAU, and then and then uh, you know deciding on a college or navigating that? Yeah, I I think it, it can be. Tr- I think my recommendation is is always to start as early as possible. Um, it's ironic you mentioned AAU. The the EYBL session is, is normally it's, it's 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 about four sessions or five if I'm not mistaken. This year they're only having three sessions. They have one in Atlanta, they have another one in in EYBL. By the way, guys is is a nice uh, grassroots program. The first one's in Atlanta. I think the second one's in in Indiana. Um, the third one's in Dallas, and the final one, which is the Peach Jam, which is the uh, uh, Super Bowl for. Uh, EY, uh, AAU basketball, that's in July. So so it's been curtailed this year. Um, I think AAU is good. I like it. Um, but I think in the wake of, you know, the scandals, it, you know, it's been a black black cloud on um, AAU basketball. But I like it, uh, to answer your question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what, how do you hey, – Corey, this is Bill. Uh, how do you, how you think – uh, Well, how you doing, man? Uh, and, you know, good. in fact – I, I first met Courtney um, in Atlanta, maybe three years ago, and this is when uh, yeah, we were at the, the Big Twelve. Yeah, I was with Miss Carter, Miss uh, Carter at the Big Twelve. Some we were at the Big Twelve uh, symposium at the College Football Hall of Fame. Yep, and that's when you know the big story was how Wendell had turned out Harvard for uh, for Duke to go to Duke. I'm just curious. In retrospect, do you still do you think he made a mistake? I mean, clearly he's with the Bulls and you know did well. He was a Lottery pick and all that. Uh, I know his mom always wanted him to go to Harvard. But what did you, in retrospect, what do you think? Wendell Carter, you mean? I think it was a good choice. I, and the reason I said that for a couple of reasons. One, you know, he went number seven. One thing we can't argue with the fact that he, you know, he was a lottery pick. One, he got drafted number seven. And Chicago is um, such a good spot for him. Now, when it comes to um, going to Duke, I, uh, one of the things that I look at and I try to get parents to look at outside of just playing basketball, um, I try to look at some of the notable alumni. So, for instance, um, when you when you look at some of the notable alumni, you look at Commissioner uh, uh, Adam Silver. He went to Duke. Uh, you look at uh, the president and CEO of Apple. Um, I can't think of the guy's name. Um, it'll come to me. But he went to Duke, so I, I think Duke was a good a good choice. Now, but when you look at Harvard, Harvard also has uh, a strong, uh, notable alumni because I always say, yeah, just a little. School, <laughs> whether whether it's Duke, whether it's 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 a Harvard, you know, the school knows the school knows what they're going to get out of you before you even go. Right. You have to know what you're going to get out of the school mm-hmm. before you go. Um, and I think, you know, Wendell had a very good career, the, the, the eight or nine months that he was there. So I, I think Duke was a good choice. All in all, I think Duke was a good choice, good, strong alumni. And, 
and the Carters, you know, made it work for them. But talk about how the players can take advantage of what they can do, especially when they don't get paid for their images being out there, and mm-hmm. especially the final players in the final four. You know that I mean, only there's mm-hmm. really only one lottery pick, and that's Jared Culver. Basically, only one lottery mm-hmm. pick that'll be there. So, yeah. So, how can someone like a Jared Culver take advantage of this shine that he's going to get in the final four, not just on the court but off? Well, I, I, I'll give you an example, um, and, and I always like to use, you know, what I did at my alumni, you know, my my, my school, Florida, and them. I think it's very important to meet the notable alumni. So you're in, so you're mm-hmm. in Texas. Take as we all know, Texas is a very big. Uh, it's a it's a petroleum state, so they mm-hmm. you know they're 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 in petroleum. So what I would do, what I, one of the things that I if I was talking to to, to Jared's parents, Mr. Ms. Cover, I would say, hey, you know, wh- while we were here, what did we accomplish besides dribbling that basketball? Um, basketball is the air that basketball is only going to go so far. However, though relationships last you a lifetime. I still do deals with my college classmates. So one of my main goals, or what I've told him before he went that instead let's try to seek out some notable alumni who can uh uh, uh mentor mentor uh me and, and teach me about business i'll give you a good story uh indomica i hope i'm i'm, I'm no i'm probably butchering his name indomica and sue went to nebraska right and so he knew that uh the uh what's the guy's name um uh, Warren, Warren Buffett, Buffett is based in Nebraska. Uh, yep, the, Omaha. Yeah, yeah. Warren, mm-hmm. Warren Buffett is a was a yeah, exactly. Big Nebraska fan um, was going to a football was coming to the football game. He knew that. Now, as we know, it's a hundred players on roughly hundred players on the football team. He forged a very strong relationship with Warren Buffett. So guess what? Warren, well, guess what? Warren Buffett advises him, gives him good strong sound sound financial advice. So if 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 if, if and Domka came away with just one thing from the University of Nebraska. Mm. It was to build a strong. He built that that one strong relationship with, with Warren Buffett. Um, That's a hell of a and, thing. And and he invests in his invest in his companies. Um, and I would tell, I would recommend and suggest that all athletes when they go to these Power Five schools, um, um, know what you're getting out of it. You know, from a relationship because these relationships can last you a lifetime. What do, what do you make of all the, you know, the money situation in, in college sports where you have all these coaches making all kinds of money um, and the players not making any money? Do you think that that's something that should change? Do you think that the NCAA is capable of, of uh, you know, being a little more supportive to the athletes financially? Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's ironic you mentioned that because I'm, I'm thinking thus far, um, Tony Bennett, his base salary, you know, we'll just talk about the final four coaches. I, I definitely think the players need to be compensated. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of examples. Tony Bennett's uh, base salary is $4,150,000, right? To date, in bonuses, he's made $850,000. 50000 50, to reach the NCAA tournament. Another hundred k to the Sweet 16. Another two fifty to reach the Elite 8. Um, um, he's made uh, uh, fifty thousand as you know the uh, uh, ACC coach. Of the, I mean, he's making money hand on t- hand or hand over fist. Right. Um, and and still he still has another five hundred thousand dollars that he can get in bonuses if you know if he, if he makes four hundred thousand. You know if he wins the national title, 
and another hundred thousand if he gets coach of the year. If you if you look at um, Chris Beard at Texas Texas Tech, you know his base salary is two million eight hundred thousand. Um, you know, 250 to win the Big 12, 50,000 NCAA tournament, another 25k if he, you know, he's reached the round of 32, another 50,000 if he reached the Sweet 16, 75,000 for the Elite Eight. You know, he's made it to the Final Four, so he's going to get another 100,000 for that. And and I mean, these guys are making hand over money, hand over fist, and 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 I I think players should be compensated. This is my opinion. Right, it's hard to argue. Hey, but Corey, let me ask you this: and we were talking about this uh, before you got on the phone on the line, and I'm wondering if there's a correlation between all this money that these college coaches are making and the fact that the the, the black presence of head coaches in the Power Five is nowhere even close to the, the dominance that black players have had in the game in the past 30 years. I'm wondering if there's a correlation between that that that's where all his money is, and that's why you don't have as many black head coaches as you should have. Val Ackerman, I, I was watching, uh, I was reading the another periodical, and Val Ackerman um, was stating that, hey, you know, and the, the topic was diversity and inclusion. And I just read this yesterday um, on, uh, from another media source. And Val Ackerman said, hey, you used to be the commissioner of the WNBA. Yeah, I know, yeah. I think this, yeah, now she's, yeah, now she's commissioner of the Big East. Now. But yeah. anyway, she said there needs to be the there needs to be diversity across all boards. She said, if you look at the playing field, the guys who play sports and, and the audience, she said that it needs to reflect one another. It, it shouldn't be lopsided. But I think there definitely needs to be um, more diversity and, 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 and definitely more I mean, the guys who play basketball are black, you know, African-American like us. Um, and I think there definitely needs to be more coaches. you got to think Arkansas coach just got let go. They didn't renew his right. contract there. Right. You yeah, know, uh, uh, at Alabama, every Johnson's contract, uh, they just let him go. So I, I definitely think it needs to be more diversity on the Division One level, without question. Is that something that you uh, take into account when, um, you know, advising kids and on where they should – Maybe uh, go to school. Is it is you know whether you know whether they can relate to the coach, whether the whether there is diversity on that particular campus or in in the basketball organization. You know what? I, one of the things I, I tell people is when it comes to basketball or the actual sport. I'm not a subject matter expert. Subject matter expert. So I, when it comes to the X's and O's in dealing with basketball, I, I you know I, I refrain from giving advice. But what I will say is I always tell the parent or recommend or suggest that, hey, you guys got to do what's in your best interest. So if your best interest is to go to uh, Alabama, I give you, you know, for instance, like when, when Colin Sexton went to Alabama, you know, Avery Johnson just pretty much put the keys in his lap and told him to go, you know, and it was it was, it was was a perfect perfect situation for him. But I, I, I do think that um, just having a – I'm thinking about the John Thompson era, um, and, and I'm thinking about the uh, Nola Richardson era at, at Arkansas. It, it, you know, when I see those guys coach, it, it seems like my dad's out there coaching. You know, they look like my dad, <laughs> uh, same mannerisms as my dad. And I, I do think it does make the, it, it probably makes a difference uh, when when guys go play for for an African American coach from just the perspective of, of, of symbolism. Um, 
And sometimes these guys have never had uh, seen seen a have seen a uh, a, a black man in a position or an authoritative position. And, and I think that's good for young guys to see. I, mean, I think what Jamal was asking you, uh, or maybe the question is, how much should that enter in? And I guess, do you find that the coaches, you know, um, tend to be, I mean, I said, the parents tend to be either not enlightened or just so focused on, you know, getting the best deal that they're not going to use their kids, their sons, um, the fact that people want them as leverage. Do you find that there's just a reluctance for parents and the guardians to kind of stand up to the system or just kind of just saying we just want to be part and parcel of the system? Yeah, I, I think I think it's a little bit reluctant because, a, a, unfortunately, a lot of parents think their son is going to the NBA. So they don't want to rock the boat. So I think they, a lot of times parents just go along to get along, if they answer the, the answer to the question. Um, yeah, I, I think sometimes parents just go along to get along because they want their son to, to, to go to the league, and they don't look at the, the total program. Well, Courtney, wanted to ask you about um, the, the union going on with NCAA basketball, USA basketball, and the NBA, and having uh, high okay. school kids giving them the opportunity to uh, possibly go into the G League, top high school prospects, making 125000 as well as uh, receiving lessons in life skills uh, and education, things like that. Uh, do you see a wave of players following suit especially starting this year because there are a few um, players that are not that are undecided right now. So do you see a wave uh-huh. of this uh-huh. happening over the next uh, three or five years or so? Um, and also, how will it benefit for the kids to do that? What's the pros and cons of, of, of doing that instead of going to college for that one year? Well, you, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I just don't – I really don't see the top, top prospects going to the G League. I, I think it probably – some guys who may not qualify for college, they, they may go to the G League just so they can stay stateside and continue to get more um, exposure. Mm. I think now, now, Embry, Embry, you know, I just don't see a lot of guys just doing that because 125000 it's a lot of money in the grand scheme of things, but in the basketball world, it's, it's really not. I see mo- more guys just going overseas uh, to play because – those four or five months and generating, I don't know, making the five six hundred thousand dollars and coming back to the states like a Terrence Ferguson did. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as the program that USA Basketball they're doing, this is their second year doing that, right? And so I think the the Final Four last year was in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this year it's going to be in Minneapolis. And so w- what they're trying to do is, I think the new CBA, the NBA CBA, kicks in. Uh, within the next couple of years, and I think well, if guys are able to go straight to the league, I think uh, the NBA wants to be able to have a um, a better read on the players as opposed to waiting that one and done. Um, I think it's you know USA Basketball always does a class job. They're coaching, you know, Coach Showalter and those guys over there. They do a class job. I think um, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. It gives the NBA executives. Uh, a, a, a good look to see the guys early, um, and, and I think the program is, is is good. I think it'll be a good program. All right. So, Courtney, want to say thank you for joining us and giving us some knowledge and information. And uh, once again, to check out uh, Courtney's company, which is Content 
incubators. It's Content Inc. K, mm-hmm. starting with a K, K-O-N-T-E-N-T-I-N-C.com. And you can follow Courtney, uh, Courtney's company on Instagram, K-O-N-T-E-N-T-I-N-C on Instagram, as well as Courtney's Instagram um, handle, which is C Scott ATL. So pleasure, Courtney. Thanks for joining us on Bros Pod. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Right. Thank you guys it. so much. Great stuff from Courtney. Really appreciate that. We're going to wrap up, as always, with our producer, Aaron. Where are you at, Aaron? My favorite part of the show. All right, Aaron's in, Aaron's in the building. Aaron's in the building. Hello. What's up, Aaron? Yeah. Hi, how are you guys? Yeah, good, yeah. Good, good. How you been? I'm good. It's, it's spring. And UConn. Is it? UConn. I'm Notre Dame. Uh, okay, yeah. but, you, but UConn's back in the Final they Four. Wait, who, what's number the, two seed. What's the Final Four, the women's Final Four? Baylor, UConn, um, Notre Dame. And uh, um, Oregon. And Oregon. Oregon and Baylor. That's right, that's right, yeah. that's right. Okay. So it looks like, ooh, that's, that's a star-studded Final Four, except for Oregon, like not, not on the level of Baylor, Notre Dame, or UConn, but UConn number two seed. When, when you say UConn's number two seed, that's like a down yeah, season. Crazy. You know that. I know. <laughs> right. But you know what? They'll probably end up winning. <laughs> right. I'm actually rooting for them for some reason. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, they've been humble. Yeah, they've been humble. Yeah. Yes, I want them to get good. back on top. Yes. So, but it's probably better for women's basketball if UConn wins this year. Yeah, I would think so. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, remember, remember people used to ask about that, well, if it was bad for women's basketball. I think it was right. actually good. Talked about well, I think, it. You know what? I think that when they were beating people by 80 points and 90 points, it was not good. <laughs> right. Uh, but I think there's, there's a, a greater degree of parity now. So you've had multiple teams now, you know, winning the challenge. And I think that's, that's better. That's true. Mm-hmm. So we have, we have other news, uh, sad news for sure, Aaron. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, this whole Nipsey Hussle, the, the, the murder of Nipsey Hussle rapper often. I've, so I don't know about you guys. I didn't really know about him. Yeah, I, I, was, know a, he, I was a pretty big fan. You were a big mm-hmm. fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you a big oh, fan? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Cause he brought, he brought back LA hip hop, you know, him, Kendrick, Odd Future, all those guys, you know, Black Hippie, all those cats like just brought back the LA voice and, and with quality MCs, you know, like not, you know, back in the day, of course the quality MCs would come from the West coast, but the whole LA hip hop scene was kind of dead for, for a lot of the years. And then, you know, for eight years or so, and then those cats came along. So Nipsey is part of that movement. Bill, did you listen to Nipsey at all? Uh, Nipsey Russell? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. My first, my first, uh, my first public appearance, my first monologue I did uh, as, as the beginning of my journalist career was in front of my eighth grade class to a Nipsey Russell monologue. Oh, I'm sorry. You said Tipsy. Tip, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nah, he knows. Come on. <laughs> well, before we get into the impact, I mean, so if everything just, so Sunday, mm-hmm. he is killed in front of his Marathon's uh, clothing store. Right. Um, you know, I, I saw tweets at first saying, oh, I hope this is not true. And then by the end of the night, people are like going nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so many headlines 
uh, he was more than a rapper. Right. Then uh, Monday night they had there was a vigil for him, which mm. um, at first it seemed peaceful, and then I think people heard a noise, not sure what it was, and then everybody scattered, and one person, at least one person, was injured. The police are trying to, you know, they're like, please stay calm. It sounds like they've um, they looked at surveillance tape of witnesses, and uh, they found a suspect. His name is Eric Holder, oddly enough, right, and they're weird. asking him to come forward. Um, Oh, he's, yeah, he, I mean, he's, his face is all over the place mm-hmm. now. So it's, it's over. Well, do you, you, do we know, we don't know motives or anything? Is this part of a gang oh. war? Do we know what this was about? Apparently, it's not gang-related at all. It, it looks like Eric and uh, Nipsey had a relationship and that mm. maybe Eric was as a known sh- informant and I think Nipsey asked him to you know leave he was I guess around Nipsey's store and he Nipsey asked him to like kind of leave I guess Eric was offended um, on, on the breakfast club they reported that uh, his ego was just super fragile and he came back and shot Nipsey in the head and then other, broad and I, daylight 3, yeah. 3 p.m. Wow. Um, yeah I mean so it turns out I mean you know the LA you know the LA scene is different uh, it's, it's, it's there is yeah. a, a very strong gang affiliation thing. Even for, even even if you're not violently part of the gang, you still affiliate with the gang in in some cases. And mm-hmm. he was a and he was a known it, through his music. He was a known crip, you know mm-hmm. the Crips and Bloods. He was a known crip. So he so you know when that first happened, people's first res, first reaction is oh it must have been gang related, um, because you know maybe you know some blood crip type of deal. Right. But you're right. It turns well we don't know yet actually. I mean, it could be, you know, we don't really yeah. know what happened, but the stories that are coming out now is that, like you said, it was like someone he had, you know, he had a uh, alter, some somewhat of an altercation with earlier in the day. Right. He comes back, yeah, and uh, does that to him. And and coincidentally, the night before, he was at the regional final in Anaheim, California. Right, oh, wow. he was there, you know, uh, Texas and, Tech and, game. Yeah, Texas Tech game, and um, but this is it was interesting. Noriega, the rapper Noriega had an Instagram video that talked about when is keeping it right really keeping it wrong? Mm. And he pretty much referenced this as keeping it wrong with, you know, like being staying around, helping people in the hood, helping people that, that don't really have your best interests at heart, and now he's dead. You know, like I'm, I'm not quoting Noriega, but, but, but check it out on his Instagram, The Real Noriega. And he talked about that, and it's like, you know, he felt that Nipsey kept it wrong, unfortunately, and it cost him his life. So what what do you guys think of that? That you know something where well, what do you mean by that? Because where a lot of people a lot of people leave right leave their the neighborhoods. Like, do you leave the and, hood? And, yeah, or you stay in the hood and try to help the hood out? Mm-hmm. Right. And you know a lot of people when they make it big, rappers, uh, sports figures. You know they they move to a gay community somewhere mm-hmm. they and they stay think out they're the and and the hood and the hood thinks that they're right. better off. Right. You know, oh, you think you're better than us. Right. You know that whole you know. So it's all it's and it's a weird guys, dynamic. And then the people and then in this case, he stayed in the hood. Like you, like he's the the ironic thing about it, and the yeah, sad yeah, thing bis- about real it was estate yeah, and businesses. He, he had create he had opened a business which he was hiring people the from the lot. neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where he was shot. He was shot in front of his store. Um, you know, so people knew where he was. You know what I'm saying? People, if you wanted to get him, you know where he is. Mm-hmm. He's in the hood with, you know, by his store, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's the question, like, you know, are, you know, do you leave? Do you stay? Um, will, and in, in this case, staying in the hood turned guys, out to be his demise. But do you guys think it's inevitable? Like, it's almost like 
look, we gave that black person an entrance into a school and then he messed it up. Let's never give black people again. Like, do you think this is just a one off and that it's just inevitable that if you stay mm. in the hood, you're going to die? Or do you think well, this yeah. is actually. I think I think it's a, a little of both. I think it's maybe not a one off, but it's like a three off. <laughs> yeah, three. Uh, you yeah. Know, <laughs> like you're giving yourself a 30 percent chance. It's just, so, you know, it's just for me, it's just keeping your distance. You can still be able to help your neighborhood and help your community, but keeping your distance, but also focusing on uh, focusing on the youth. On the youth. That's what Snoop did, focusing on the youth and everything like that and, and helping them, coaching them and things like that with athletics, football and basketball. I feel there's you have to create certain boundaries, but still there's nothing wrong with you helping your neighborhood because... You know, you have to be able to uplift. You're a hero. You have to be able to uplift. But at the end of the day, though, you shouldn't be hanging out at your store every single day and things like that. And, you know, like you have to kind of have some boundaries, you know. And, and like I said, the youth is more important more you know, than anything. It was also part of his persona. Like, you know, he he made he he took pride in the fact that he stayed in 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 the hood and. You know, earlier in that day, he tweeted about having beef. Like, he, he tweeted saying, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have strong enemies. This was like four hours before he was right. shot. He said, mm-hmm. I, had, I you know, I have strong enemies out here, blah, blah, blah. So he knew, you know, I'm sure he, he accepted the risk right. that he mm-hmm. was taking. Um, and, you know, sometimes that, that doesn't go well. But, you know, he lived a great, I mean, 33 years old, obviously mm-hmm. way too young. And had a but great, he did a lot of great a things. A great concept of, and when he talked about one of his first interviews, talked about, buying real estate in the hood and, and helping people be able to live in good housing, affordable housing. And he talked about like cars and jewelry that they, it depreciates in value. I don't, I don't mess with that. I want to get assets. That's yeah. a, he was already like a yeah. well, you know, he was just yeah. a ph- philosophical cat. He was a serious guy. Like he wasn't like your typical, you know, anything like a rapper, play, you know, someone who, who a young guy who comes into a lot of money. He was, he, he wasn't your typical that, that person, you know what I'm saying? He was, he was always serious. He always thought about the future. You know, I have friends in the industry who told me like 10 years ago that they, that they knew him and he was like one of the, he was like a different type of guy. Um, you know, he wasn't running after, all, you know, mm-hmm. women all the time. He, he was like just more, way more serious mm-hmm. than, your, than your normal rapper they came across. Right. And he was also, you know, he was, he was raised in Crenshaw, but he had uh, his, he was American and Eritrean. And his, his name is actually, I don't want to butcher this, but it looks like Ermias um, Ashkedom. Um, his father was a, a refugee from Eritrea. Mm. So, you know, I don't, I don't know how much that influenced his life. But he also, he was um, a father, I don't know how many kids he had, but he definitely had one kid with two Lauren kids, London. Two kids, I think, yeah, two kids. <coughs> one kid with uh, Lauren London, maybe two. I'm not sure. Uh, I really like them together. They're a cute couple. But, you know, I mean, obviously a sad situation. Uh, when a young, you know, successful uh, black man is killed, and and it still happens, you know, way way too much. And then right. I, I was talking to friends about this too. Like, you know, this doesn't happen. You know, this doesn't happen to white stars. They don't go back to the neighborhood and get shot and killed. Right. <laughs> not right. or de- definitely not nearly as often. I mean, uh, things happen, but you know, this is still a problem for our community, and and we know why. It's because there are so many have-nots. In mm-hmm. our communities, and and crabs, and, crabs yeah, in the barrel. Jealousy. We hear that term, right, Bill? Crabs yeah. in the barrel. Well, I feel like the, the white yeah. stars. Except they say that the the thing that's really going on with crabs in the barrel mm-hmm. is that a lot the crabs are actually trying to help others out of the barrel. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not like the, 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 the they're, they're trying to pull one down. The, the, the one at the top is trying to pull the other oh. out of the barrel. Mm-hmm. But then so, he gets pulled yeah. in by mistake. Just another variation on the theme. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what what happens to, I mean, you know, you, you'd think that Nipsey's work was to have some continuation. So I hate that he's dead, but you know, he was. I, th- I heard he was trying to have Doc- a low ha- low income housing residence mm-hmm. for people. He and has a documentary store. on Dr. Sebi, right? Uh, the the doctor that had a cure for AIDS in the mid '80s and was uh, killed um, mysteriously. Uh, well, mysteriously died in, in uh, like ten years ago, over ten years ago. Right. So he was continuing that document. Well, he was working on that documentary. Supposedly now Nick Cannon will continue it and finish it. That's what. He says he'll try, he'll try to do it. So, and he yeah. had Vector ninety, which was I think helping connect Crenshaw to um, Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So, does that all stop because he's dead? No, I don't think so. I think yeah. I think it continues. I mean, he was working with other people to do that. So, um, I, you know, I've seen you know social media posts uh, from those people saying that they're going to continue to do mm-hmm. it and, and work even harder now. Yeah, you know, hopefully that's the case. Um, you know, his music. His music will will be a, you know will live uh, you know eternally. Um, kept fact, his kept his name in the music yeah. like did not compromise anything. And as, as is always the case, you know, right or wrong, uh, his the sales jumped up by like two hundred twenty percent or something. You know, once he died, right. you know, I mean, I you know, in passing, people more people way more people heard of him than than heard of him before. Like you right. like you said, you didn't even know who he was. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe in hey, some weird way it helps. Is he more substantial than Meek Mill? No. Oh no. No, no, Meek Mill. But he should be more in stature than Meek Mill. But 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 it's funny because (laughs) Meek Mill also he became you know a higher stature after oh after after the situation right after After that situation right right. and and with the reform alliance maybe pre that he was still pre 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 that that, yeah he he was still a little above uh, Nipsey Hussle but it was closer now he's bigger. Bigger, yeah. He was, but but they were both still considered somewhat underground. Even Meek Mill before he got locked up, not you know he wasn't mainstream as he is now. So, yeah, but he was him and Drake had that thing, so that that's made true, him that true. that yeah he was. It made him. What, else, what else we got, Aaron? Well, I guess you know we'll find out if Eric Holder is you know if he if he's found and if he goes to trial. And I also think it's interesting. The Eric Holder from Crenshaw. From Crenshaw, yeah, okay. not not the former Attorney General. <laughs> um, and also, I think it's interesting that a lot of times these these things shootings happen and there's like a no snitch policy, like nobody say anything to anybody, and, and people are like, get this guy. Right. Like, mm-hmm. bring him to the police. And I think that's that's unusual, I think. Yeah. And his family, you know, there are people threatening his family now. Eric Holder's family. It's just, yeah, it's just a whole whole mess, you know. So, so yeah, rest in peace. Uh, rest in peace, yes. indeed. Yes. And uh, hopefully some kind of positive comes out of it. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. All right. All right, people. Uh, that's it for us. Another great edition of Bros Pod. Uh, we'll be back next week. As always, uh, like and subscribe to the podcast and, and uh, leave positive comments. Give us five stars, all that good stuff on iTunes for Bill Roden on Sports. 
And we'll be back next week with a new edition. And I want to say one thing. Blue Note. I'm at the Blue Note. want to always just promote that late night, That's Friday night. Uh, on April 5th, mm-hmm. late night, which is really Saturday morning, April 6th, but 12.30 a.m., okay. uh, my band will be playing after the great Joshua Redman, after his band. Good so, stuff. Definitely check yeah, that out. Definitely. I went to see... Uh, oh, cool. I went to see Nabate Let's at... Try to make that. The Jazz Standard. Oh, great, great. Yes, sir. Saw, well, oh, no, you can be Final Four, right? Oh, oh, maybe you can make an appearance, then fly to the Final Four. Well, you know. Well, he... he <laughs> well, Bill, 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 Bill... What's your date? Oh, uh, April 5th, going into the 6th. But, oh, no, no, that's right. Yeah, I will, I'll miss it. And he's going to miss it for a good reason. Uh, uh, Hall of Famer. That's right. USA Hall, Basketball. Writers. Hall of Fame writer Bill Roden. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's a good reason yeah, to, yeah. To, not, you know, to not be able to make it, I think. Congratulations, Bill. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's worth mentioning, but Marvin Gaye's birthday is today. Yes, indeed. Yes, 80 years Marvin old. Oh, happy birthday, Marvin. Years right? old. Another guy lost too, lost too soon. Yeah, no question. And the anniversary of his death was, was, was yesterday. 35th anniversary. Right? So, so he died the day before his birthday. day before his mm-hmm. birthday. Yeah. Wow. Um, mm. And there's, I know this, wow. I just wrote a story about it. There's a, a commemorative stamp. All right, I saw that. I saw you post that. I'll be buying a few of those, absolutely. Even though I don't really mail anything anymore. No, it's kind of like money. Only the rent, that's it. So I'll just (laughs) put that Marvin Gaye stamp on the rent. Exactly. (laughs) Indeed. Exactly. Okay, I promise that's it for me. All right, guys. uh, You know, all listeners, we'll see you next week. Thanks for the support, and uh, we'll catch you soon. to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.